Welcome to the four-part teaching series, Bible 101, featuring Costin and Mandy Woodhouse. In this series, you'll learn how we got the Bible, its prophetic nature, how your identity is rooted in Scripture, and much more. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to part one of four of the Bible 101 teaching series. Part one of four. It's Friday, everybody. I'm very excited. Love Fridays. Love them. Um, but I'm also super, 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 super stoked uh, about this series, you guys. Um, so it's you're in for a treat. This is going to be really great. Uh, very exciting, everybody. Super, 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 super stoked. I don't want to waste any more time. I'm going to jump right into this. So to introduce my guest today, who's going to be tag teaming with his amazing wife every other time. And then they converge in the final episode, the penultimate episode of this series. They're going to, they're going to come together. It's going to be great. And they're adorable together. So it'll be great. Um, but my guest today, he is a Bible teacher. He's a preacher and he's also a prophetic teacher. Let's give it up for my boy, Custom Woodhouse. Welcome back. Jeff, it's so good to be back. I missed yeah. you guys. I know. We were talking about it backstage. It's like it felt like so long. Oh, too long. Christmas Eve. Too long, yeah. Yeah, too long, you know. Yeah. But I, you know, I've, I've been so looking forward to this series, man. And, uh, you know, I remember talking to you about it and I saw, I just, I saw the spark. I was like, ooh, this is right. This is, this is right. So it feels right. Um, yeah, you know, just looking through the notes a little bit. Um, he's got a slideshow, everybody. He's got visual aids. Give it up. Um, and <laughs> I was just really excited, you know, and I, I really love the way that you teach the Bible. Um, and so this is just a real, we're in for, we're in for a treat, everybody. So, um, Costin, um, I'm going to just kind of give you the floor. Like, what are we going to be talking about today in regards to the Bible? Yeah, we've called it uh, Bible 101, which is... Uh awesome work guys yeah and today so we're going to span across a bunch of stuff but the bible is not only you know information that's prophetic as well uh so we're going to journey through that whole process of uh where we got the bible you know, how we can rely on it and then how we can read it how it can change our life how we can interpret it and then the reality that it's not just god's word on paper like that or as a as a, like a matter of fact it's god's word and it come on it, brings uh trembling and it brings prophetic revelation that's beyond the stuff that you come through your mind uh in the natural and it brings change and it it shifts people's lives and you know if anyone's had a prophetic word that's transitioned them and just totally changed everything that's god's word and so we're going to go to that place uh, towards the end of the series Mm. but today uh we're going to lay some really like solid simple blocks of foundation for where do we get the bible what are some of these big words that we use like inerrancy what does that mean uh things like the word canon um and not the one that you fire cannonballs out of on a pirate ship (laughs) um which are awesome uh, you know but (laughs) which are awesome yeah they're they're loud and powerful uh like the word of god and uh, (laughs) explosive like the word of god (laughs) praise the lord uh and uh, and then we're going to just to finish today with really practical devotional style. Um, how can I read the Bible and let it change my life? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So the goal really through this, and I think it's an inevitability. I would, I would just say now it's an inevitability that the inevitability of 
a series like this is to stoke a fire within you as the listener um, uh, to to read the word for yourself in in a greater ways and and to dive deeper into the word. I can't help but I mean, even the last two times that you're on constant, and we were talking about scripture and theology and all that. I it just increased my hunger yeah. for wanting to pursue the Lord myself rather than oh. And that should be the appropriate response for all of us with anything is not to put you, Costin, on a pedestal, right. but to go. I mean, because what you do is you point to Jesus. Yes. You point to the word and um, and you do a great job of that of getting out of the way. This thing. Yeah. Jesus on a pedestal. Yeah, absolutely. And so that should be our appropriate response is that any kind of revelation that you received, any kind of prophetic whatever that you've gained Everybody else has that ability as well exactly. and, and to tap into the same thing, you know? So that should be the appropriate end result of something, a series like this is to stoke the fire within you and increase that hunger for you to, Oh, I want to, I want to know the word like Costa knows the word, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. And we, and we want to impart faith too. Like you sure. talk about the appropriate responses, hunger. Yeah. I think when you impart faith into people and you're like, man, this is what I got. This is what's possible. This is, God's got this for you. God's got that yeah. for you. The word of God's got this for you. Um, yeah. In that place, there's a hunger that just rises up because faith is imparted. And you're like, oh, man. And there's this other side to faith as well, and that is uh, Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and believe that what you say will happen and do not doubt in your heart. And that's, so there's two prongs to faith. One is believing. Another one is not doubting in your heart. And... Um, you know, doubt's one of those things. People say, is it a feeling? And if I'm having, you know, feelings or thoughts, has that doubt? Well, the word for doubt in Greek is diakrinos, which means to have a divided judgment. And mm. it's um, it's like almost having like two conflicting thoughts in your head at the same time. Interesting. What's helpful about that is if you know what doubt is, then you know how to stab it with a big spear and get rid of it. And so you're able to go, hang on a second, I might be feeling something, but that doesn't mean I'm doubting. I've already decided in my mind that I've only got one opinion. Wow. And so when I'm able to do things that remove the arguments that want to bring a divided, conflicting set of thoughts in your mind about whether you can believe the word or not of God or not, I've successfully built a bridge and removed obstacles to faith for you. And that, and that's some of what we're going to do this morning. Awesome. Or afternoon or evening, whenever people are <laughs> watching. It yes, is it's morning. F- it's Saturday morning for Costin. It's Friday afternoon for me. So... And, for and most there are of people your, in between your, there. For most of you. By the way, you did really well with saying Aussie earlier. You didn't say Aussie, which is great. Oh, I said I said it right? Yeah, you were on fire, mate. Oh, really? Oh. Sweet. Awesome. So um, to start, we're going to ask some questions about where did we get the Bible from? And so I'm going to give a few simple answers. We're going to put some things on the screen and just give you an idea of the historical reliability of the Bible. Yeah, and this is a good, this is good too, just to interject because on TikTok currently right now, there's this big trend where there's people just going on about how the Bible is disproven because it was put together by a bunch of dudes and it's blah, 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 blah. So this is a great, um, this is great ammunition for those of you who are kind of stumped by some of the things those people have said on TikTok and Instagram reels and all that. This is a great tool. So take it away. Awesome. Awesome. So I am not the most scholared at all of these different subjects. So don't put me up on a pedestal and say he's the expert on it all. 
what I am going to do is give you some things that are uh, simple tools and then point you towards some great men and women of God who are awesome. experts on these so that you can look more in your own time. Sweet. So I hope that helps. So mm-hmm. in, a, in a nutshell, what is the Bible? Well, we've got these 66 books that we know as the Protestant Bible, 27 New Testament. Um, and, and where did they come from? So the Old Testament books, they were always, uh, as far as from the time of Jesus' incarnation on the earth, always accepted actually as authoritative books in the Jewish tradition. So uh, these um, you know, uh, Old Testament books, you know, the prophets, the Psalms, uh, Proverbs, the, the Torah, which is the, which is the first five books of the Bible, uh, the books of Moses, as um, some traditions call them, mm-hmm. uh, all of the minor prophets, um, historical books. These were all, uh, to use our language, kind of uh, canon. They were, they were Jewish, uh, considered authoritative in the time of Jesus. Uh, and that's not including what's known as the Jewish Apocrypha. So they were never, ever um, treated as canon. Um, so what we, when we get to the time of Jesus, the Old Testament is already um, within reason, virtually universally accepted as these are the records of what God said to, to us as a people, the Jews, and, and used in synagogue, used um, you know, uh, as an authoritative uh, and then we've got these 27 books of the New Testament, and they are uh, what has at times um, historically been called um, the Memoirs of the Apostles, which is actually the Gospels, as we know, mm-hmm. them, oh. uh, and Acts, uh, to sort of. Uh, and then we've got uh, a vast number of letters, uh, mostly by the Apostle Paul, as well as John, Peter, Jude. Uh, and so uh, we've got this this. Uh, collection that happens um towards the end of the first century and then into the second century where you've got the christian communities uh springing up all over you know this mediterranean region asia minor which is turkey now um all these places and you've got these uh people that are alive while the apostles are alive and and even if they outlive the apostles they've experienced this tradition of hey these are the works of the apostles and these are the memoirs or the or the the collection of uh what jesus did and what he taught and so um, we see these letters so paul's letters uh they're they're they're, um circulated at times between these different um we would say churches but people a group gatherings of christians together in communities Mm, yeah um and they're reading these and, and, and receiving the apostles' teaching and often within their own lifetime. Or they're receiving them from people like, say, Polycarp, who was one of um, John's disciples, who was alive while the apostles were alive, was mm. a disciple of them. And then he is passing this information and reading these so this, to, to the next generation. But he's been an eyewitness to the apostles. So we get to this word called... Um, actually, before we go to the word canon, we'll look at what this word canon means. First of all, we kind of, you know, we're born into the the 20th or 21st century, depending on how old you are on our screen right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're just, we're like, pop, we just pop into the, to the world and we're like, oh, we're, we're like, um, 
you know, something come down in a rainstorm onto a world that already exists. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and so we're like, okay, we get this thing called the Bible. And we're like, well, where, how do I know that? Okay, so we've got what I just said, like this whole, you know, um, the authority of the Jewish scriptures. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's referred to as the Tanakh. Um, by the way, the uh, Jewish canon, even today, um, to the best of my knowledge, is still the same books of the Old Testament, just in a different order. So if you get a, a Jerusalem Bible, same books, right? Um, so yeah, I was actually going to ask you that. So you, you already answered it. Yep. Um, and so there's a testimony that, that, that predates the New, the New, the New Testament mm-hmm. um, and still on living today. But then you've also got these um, these New Testament books. You're like, okay, so who said, like, where do they come from? Are they reliable? Is there because there's like a two thousand year gap almost between us and and this New Testament community called the Church. Uh, so how do I know that what I have today is the same thing they had? And what, where does it come from? Yeah, how do I get a Bible translation. So what we're going to do is I want to look at just the the testimony of history and just give us some context about how many manuscripts. So manuscript is um, a part of the uh, Old Testament, New Testament. It might be a part of a book. It might be most of the New Testament, which they often are. Um, How many of these do we have now? um, The New Testament predominantly was originally written in Koine Greek. Um, so in terms of timeline, you've got these Greek languages, um, languages evolve over time, um, various things like morphology and stuff like that. Um, in the case of Greek, even some of the letters dropped out of the alphabet. So um, going back way before Christ, you've got ancient Greek, then you've got middle Greek, and then you've got um, this, by the time you get to the New Testament, you've got this thing called Koine Greek. And Koine uh, is a, kind of a figure of speech for this, like, um, the workman's language, mm. and that's it's it's the coined it's it's the um, it's the the, the uh, quote unquote the vulgar man's even though I'm borrowing okay. from a yeah, later the common history, man the, the, the common, common man's man. language yeah. right and it's yeah. a, um, a fairly um, I wouldn't say universally spoken language but um, a fairly common language because it predates the Roman Empire um, and um, you know, it's, it's established as like almost like a trade language and stuff like that. So okay. it's not as complex or as specific as ancient Greek. Ancient Greek was a highly, highly um, uh, sophisticated language, whereas Koine Greek is a little bit simpler. Um, and there's a letter called a consonantal iota, which has disappeared from the language. Um, and so vast majority of the New Testament is originally written in that or the oldest manuscripts and the oldest circulations of it were in Greek, even if... Um, even if Jesus was speaking Aramaic, Hebrew. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so how many of these do we have and how does it compare with historical documents? So we've got, you know, we go to um, say classical education and, uh, you know, you're learning about, you know, um, probably more my father's generation, although it still happens. Or if you study it at, um, at university, at, at college, you study ancient history and you learn about all these Roman emperors, right? You learn about all these Roman philosophers, especially if you do philosophy. Um, and you're like, and you're like, so we take these dates and that these men existed as just facts. We're like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, um, of course Julius Caesar was alive. Of course Nero was alive. Yeah, bingo. And then you got these philosophers, Plato, Sophocles. You got these ancient writings. Yep. Um, the Iliad, 
stuff like that. So the works of Homer and we're like, okay, we just assume this stuff is real. It existed. Yeah. And let's just put it out there. Like secular, um, organizations and even ones that were classically Christian, but are, are now sort of very, very much post-Christian atheist places. They like, they take this stuff as rote, right? Mm-hmm. So if we can pop that um, yep. first slide on the screen about historical documents on the screen here, we've got a couple of things we want to see there about how many copies do we have? And not only how many copies do we have, but how great is the distance between its first writing slash the event and the earliest copy of that information, that those manuscripts? How how so imagine, um, you know, if I witness a car accident and you ask me five minutes after the car accident what happened, my memory of what happened will be a lot um, sharper in terms of being able to recall details and timing than if you ask me in six months. And then that would be mm-hmm. sharper than if you ask me in a year. And if you ask me 30 years from now or even 100 years from now, assuming I was still alive, yeah, um, it, the, the memory would get more and more kind of eh. and it would Not even like get more like maybe even more f- fantastical or embellished as exactly. time goes on yeah and the number of people that could verify what i'm saying would become less and less and less sure. and their memory would be less and less reliable and if you ask my you know great great grandchildren about the story of when dad of when great great granddad witnessed a car accident they're going to be even more vague and sure. things begin to get squiffy there and so um in terms of distance with you know and there's time for it to change if there's a massive gap let's say i wrote down what happened and then 400 years from now uh somebody else has a copy of a copy of a copy of me but there's nobody in between those 400 years to say hang on a second this might have changed or or this didn't change or this is correct or nobody else wrote down a copy so i can compare the one that i have with that other copy to see if anything's changed then it it reduces the historical reliability of that document. So let's have a look at a few of the ones in terms of Caesar, uh, the Gaelic Wars that's written between 144 BC. The earliest copy we have of it is from 900 AD. So the time span is a thousand years (laughs) between the time it was written and the earliest copy we have. And the number of copies we have is 10. So that's, I won't go through the whole thing. You can see it in front of you there. Um, and you can look these up online. There's yeah. a few different places. Um, uh, I've, I'll put some links up. Uh, I'll send them to you, Jeff, at the end. I've got some okay. here ready to go. Yeah, great. Um, so that's just like a historical sort of, this is a history plus some figures. But in terms of like, say, philosophers, so Plato, uh, lots of people have heard of Plato. Um, and then um, we've got one of his philosophical books written. It's written between 427 and 347 BC. The earliest copy we have, 900 AD. So there's 1,200 years between the time of approximate time of writing. It's, it can't even be confirmed to within like a, you know 110 years of itself. And there's only seven copies. Wow, man. And these are things that we just take as like fact. Like, yes, Plato said this. Yes. He existed yeah. during this time. And, and that, yeah, it, this really puts it in perspective. 
Exactly. Now to be a little bit um, kinder, we could look at Sophocles. Um, again, uh, sometime in the 400s BC, um, the first earliest copies we have is um, it's 1000 AD. It's 1400 years between them, but there's 103 copies, excuse me. And so we got a few more of that. Um, and then Homer's Iliad, I've actually read the Iliad. It's intense. Um, uh, it, was a it was a fairly big version of it. It was slightly, slightly abridged um, and uh, still massive volume <laughs> to yeah. read. Uh, written approximately 900, sorry, written in 900 BC. Earliest copy we have is 400 BC. So it's actually quite an old copy. The, 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 um, the oldest copy is a 500 year difference. So that's probably the best of the bunch and there's 643 copies or, yeah, of, of, of manuscripts of the Iliad. That's probably our, and this isn't, this isn't even like, this isn't like uh, written as a history, uh, although you could argue perhaps that about the Iliad. Um, it's not um, a statement of faith. It's not a statement of philosophy. This is a story. So this isn't even, like, we're not even in the realm of, um, you know, Caesar's history or mm -hmm. uh, we're not in the realm of Plato, Sophocles, et cetera. Uh, and different, you know, Pliny the Younger's histories written in the in the first century AD. We're not even in that realm in terms of the kind of non-fiction genre of history. We're in the realm of of a story. Yeah. Um, so we got we got these nearly six hundred and fifty copies. Shift to the New Testament, and we look down the bottom there. Written between um, forty AD and hundred AD. Um, depending on who you ask about about Book of Revelation, um, earliest copies we have is 125 AD. So this is within the lifetime of people that knew the apostles. So the life, so the the shortest um, time span between the, the writing and the earliest copy, 25 years. Yeah, that's. So they're still I mean, talking about a person's lifetime. Yeah, and. As far as copies, we have over 24,000 um, predominantly in Greek and, uh, and, and the Latin Vulgate, which is um, kind of an ironic thing I'll, I'll explain later. But in terms of the original language, a Koine Greek, we've got 5,300 uh, uh, copies. Yeah, like, like overkill in proof. Yeah. Like <laughs> just like God making sure you know, by our own standards, th this is a these are reliable sources. Yeah, bingo. Yeah, and it's not just that we have these, but we've got tens of thousands of quotes from the uh, the New Testament from extra biblical authors. So early church fathers, as some um, something like eighty six thousand quotes from early church fathers so the first sort of three and a half centuries ad we've got um we've got these just thousands of tens of thousands of quotes it's not like this happened in a corner it's not like these were secret documents that somebody could fiddle with and and alter you've got communities spread across multiple countries and eventually multiple continents by the third century with the expansion of the roman empire yeah um and the spread of christianity within it and if something was amiss like if i told a fib about the car accident that i witnessed 
there's you know there's there's a thousand other people but hang on a second that's not that's not yeah right. <laughs> yeah you with me yeah but we don't see that in history we don't see somebody arcing up and saying hey such and such changed the new testament and whenever stuff like that happens as far as the the authority of the scriptures getting challenged throughout history we actually see massive blow-ups with they mostly called councils where um you know uh, probably the some of the most notable ones would be um 140 AD, you've got a guy named Montanus coming out and saying, hey, I don't know that Jesus is the complete revelation. I'm quite paraphrasing very poorly or summarizing very poorly here, something that's actually quite a complicated and massive event, uh, talking about um, the nature of prophecy and some other things. And the church pulls together and is like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We've got the collection of the apostles' writings here, and we all know we all know where these come from. We all know we've been reading them for decades together. We've been following their teaching, living this stuff and enduring 10 plus waves of absolutely intense persecution to death through the Roman Empire. Uh, we, uh, we've, um, we need to address this since they have these massive meetings and, and then eventually these, these teachings and these ideas are denounced. Mm-hmm. And um and uh, by the time we get to um, probably one of the most well-known in terms of um, you know, the a- average everyday Christian, the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, which is yeah, quite a, a, you know, we're talking like 200 years later. That's a big people quote mm-hmm. when they're trying so this to disprove. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get the development of the Nicene Creed, which is a basic statement of, basic statement of faith about um, not only our faith, but also about the Trinity uh, and sorting some stuff out um, in that respect. Uh, by that time, you know, you got um, 36,000 quotes of New Testament books found in writings before, just before that council and years and years of testimony. It's not like this happened in a corner. Everybody's watching the car accident and everybody right. knows uh, a little bit. And so when somebody comes along and says, hey, this happened differently than we think, the car was pink, not not white, there's plenty of people around saying, no, 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 this has been the same for ages. Yeah. So just to kind of paint this into perspective for people who are maybe having a hard time tracking with this, imagine you're at a sporting event and it's like, okay, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl's this weekend. There are going to be hundreds of cameras at hundreds of different possible angles capturing things. And what do you do when you go back to review a play? They go back, they rewatch it from multiple different angles to determine it's like, Yes, the 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 call was appropriate. Yes or no, um, and and that is what God did to reinforce what happened. Is He had multiple different angles, multiple different sources. Uh, so just imagine it like that. Um, if you're having a hard time tracking, this is exactly what they're and they're they're using those references to determine the authenticity of whatever. So, and even non-believers have referenced the right. new testament in yeah. in their first 300 years uh and in so doing like deniers of the faith and uh roman historians and you, you've got all sorts of letters uh about the actions and deeds of the christians and what they're like written from people that are um, some of them hate christians some of them are perplexed uh roman emperors and their and their historians and their uh, uh um, counselors are absolutely perplexed at these people and a, and a, and a ref- referencing this stuff. 
So, so like again, I love your Super Bowl analogy there. And and not only are there you know hundreds of cameras and hundreds of angles, but you've got you know how many thousand people, tens of thousands of people in the stadium watching right. live, yeah, from all different angles. Yep. Uh, and that's a great, actually, a great analogy of um, you know people say, well, you know, what about you know when um, the Gospels are probably the the uh, the biggest victims of this. People go, well, you know, one gospel says there were this many angels and another gospel says there were this many angels and blah, blah, blah. Is that like, is that a fault in the Bible? And you're like, hang on a second, I don't know. It's the same as the stadium, right? And it's even why you do uh, uh, replays and you, um, I mean, when there's a challenge on a play, you do it from multiple angles because you can't tell sometimes for the, the football fans here, if the ball has crossed the plane from the camera that's at the back, it might look like, yeah. The guy's legs touch the 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 uh, the, the uh, outside of the field before the ball co- crosses the plane, and so you got to you got to take a different angle and look again. And you're like, hey, no, 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 just before his leg touches the sideline, ball's touched yep. across the plane. Yeah. It's a t- it's a touchdown, and um, all my Australian friends are like, you sell out. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you guys all, you know, you'll you know Australian sports. Uh, maybe you know, there's like a rugby uh, analogy oh, there or something are, in there. There's heaps of analogies there for rugby yeah. league. You know, you did the same thing in rugby league for a yeah. try um, with exactly the same situation I just described, actually, mm. except the ball has to touch the ground in, in uh, rugby league. Mm. Um, same for cricket, you know, um, you know, was it LBW plum or not? And Jeff, you got no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking and, about. Um, <laughs> stuff like that. So, um you know, when we want to get, uh, uh, you know, an idea of what happened and what Jesus said, we want to have plenty of witnesses from plenty of angles to make sure we've got it. And we've got yeah. that. Praise God. So it's actually yeah. not a challenge against the Bible. It's a proof that it's going to give us what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's this historical idea. And just in terms, if you want to put the, I've got a, um, a, uh, a slightly cream-colored slide there of yep. the progression of the canon. So... We've got this thing called the canon. So the canon of scripture, the word canon means a measure or read. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Uh, so like a, a, we would say a rule or a ruler, um, inaccurately, say a ruler. Um, and it's, it's, like a, it's like something to measure it against and say this is the standard that we have for the authority of scripture. And so I've taken this as a picture from a book called um, Church History in Plain Language. Uh, great, great, great book actually by a guy named Bruce Shelley. Um, and uh, very well researched. Uh, reading, a bit like reading one gospel won't give you a complete picture of Jesus. Neither will reading one book on church history give you, uh, you'll just get one person or one mm. group of people's uh, perspective. But yeah. In terms of helpful church history, I think it's one of the best and easiest to read out there. Uh, and it's not uh, entrenched in a bunch of political junk, awesome. um, which is really helpful. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, but this is a progression of the, what I'm going to call, I'll just use my own language, sort of a universally, and I mean that in a generic sense, accepted list of books by the community of the church, the community of believers. Uh, and it, if you look in that that by 100 AD, it says different parts of the New Testament were written um, by this time, but not collected and defined as scripture. Um, but early church writers, so Polycarp, Ignatius, Polycarp, um, alive during the apostles, quote from the Gospels and Paul's letters, as well as other Christian writings and oral sources. 
And uh, Paul's letters and the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were brought together by 150 AD. Um, why is that important? It's important because if you have Paul's letters and the synoptic gospels, you effectively have a complete gospel as we understand the new mm -hmm. covenant. So that's great, but understand the gravity is it means that the teaching of Jesus, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the new uh, the new covenant, the new the new creature, the new creation that we are, mm -hmm. being born again, um, the ability to have a lens to interpret the Old Testament through, which I'd say that um, Galatians and Hebrews are an excellent place to start. Um, and certainly um, they are enough to give you salvation by faith and that um, proven by the Old Testament, the witness of the Old Testament, the uh, Psalms, and um, the law and the, uh, the prophets, and um, which is what Jesus is very much big on quoting, uh, especially in uh, Matthew and Mark. And uh, you've got having a complete gospel means that if somebody brings an alternative philosophy into that space, you're able to go, no, we've already got a complete gospel. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's not like someone could come along and say, oh, someone's just changed it. You know, it's all, uh, it's all rubbish. It's all um, BS. Sorry to use such a crass reference, yeah. but people use yeah. it like secular. My friends that don't know Jesus have used that language. Yep. Um, I just, I'm just trying to be real um, in terms yeah, no, of like, good, this is the things you've heard. Yep, um, we're not trying to be edgy here or try to use yeah. language for <laughs> But we are. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but that's just the reality of the things that we hear. And, um, there isn't any space for that because you've already got a complete gospel and you've already got too many witnesses saying, Hey, this is what it said. Right. And we're not just talking about Greek and Hebrew uh, or Greek and Aramaic um, versions of the old and new Testament. You've also got the Latin Vulgate written. Um, you've also got a, uh, a Greek version of the old Testament written, the Septuagint, um, which Paul and the uh, author of Hebrews, which may or may not have been Paul. And please don't um, put something up about that. I'm not interested. Um, yeah. Nor am I the expert. In, yeah, uh, don't add him, people. Just we're just gonna um, keep going. Um, that's not the point. But but they quote from the Septuagint, which is a Greek Old Testament. Um, and you've also got early languages, Coptic and and uh, different Mediterranean and, and North African languages copying the New Testament. So if there's a problem, it gets like if someone's like done some squiffy things to these manuscripts and, and misinterpreted them. You've got I believe you've got um witnesses of the early greek um manuscripts but you've also got these other languages where they translated them when you translate a language you have to extract essential meaning from the 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 passage and from the words and put it into your language or the or the target language that you're into in the process of doing that you actually add an extra layer to hey at the at the time when this manuscript existed this is what we understood it to mean. Hmm. So in terms of people going, well, people change the meaning of words. Well, you've got too many witnesses. You've got other yeah. languages are getting translated into other languages and it meant the same thing to them at the time that they translated it. Yeah. Well, Kostin, would it be sort of like, um, like if you have, you know, the existing whatever, and then you do a new manuscript or whatever, and, 
And if they're everything checks out, they run parallel, but it's like that analogy of like, you change something just slightly where it doesn't look parallel, but as you move throughout time, they're like so far from each other. So if they had done that, it's, it's like the telephone game where it's like, if yep. one thing was wrong, then I just see like, as you make more and more and more manuscripts or you're, you're trans, you know, recording it in multiple different sources, more things would just get out of whack if you had done that. It just seems like, so uh, all that to say that this is very reliable like this. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I, uh, what I didn't have in that first slide is the level of accuracy and, um, the, the new Testament is considered to be 98% accurate, which is uh, massive for a historical document. Yeah. No kidding. Um, some of these other ones we had up on the screen, they're, they're, they're fractured, they're percent, they're, they're often small percentages of provability, um, or, or even in the, like the, the mid fifties and stuff like that of, of accuracy. And of that quote unquote 98%, the 2%, they are, and, and it's actually in the thousands, they're um, grammatical single text errors. So um, things like a letter being backwards or um, slightly out of order or something gotcha. like that. Uh, like the kind of mistake you would make if you sat down and wrote a couple of thousand words ha by hand. Mm -hmm. And then I went and checked it or even typed because that's why we have um, editors and um, type checkers and stuff like that for when we write books because those kind of mistakes happen, but no one's going to come along and say, oh, Jesus didn't exist because there's a letter backwards or there's a letter out of order, <laughs> especially if you've yeah. got 30 other document, 30 other um, manuscripts of the same thing and you're able to go back and go, hang on a second. No, 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 it's just a mm -hmm. word out of order or a letter backwards mm -hmm. or something like that. So yep. this, that's just the reality. Like people go, oh, there's, you know, there's a hundred and something thousand um you know errors in the new testament thing and you're like, hang on, like, no 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 this is this is like um uh, one manuscript here that do put the dude um <laughs> that do put the you know letter out of order or let it put backwards or um or join two words together because um Koine greek is written in all capitals with no spaces yeah. uh, which is wild and uh not like the reader's greek we get to read from um in our uh, you know uh, in our documents and versions of textus receptus and stuff like mm -hmm. that but um uh, so it's, it's not like these are like someone came and changed stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. Constant. I have a question. Um, so, <clears throat> cause there's people that say, would say to this, especially if there's someone who's like a naysayer or skeptic or whatever, and they go, okay, well, 98%, uh, 98% accurate. I thought they were under the unction of the Holy spirit. Why isn't it a hundred percent? You know, I've heard that argument before and I, you know, it's hard to describe, it's hard to explain it. I've struggled to explain it in a way that like a non-Christian can understand. Yeah. So like, what would you say? Well, I mean, what would you say to that? Let's say, well, let's put it in simple terms. Let's say we have um, uh, uh, one of the books of Paul. Let's say we have um, arguments. Let's say we have Colossians um, and we've got one really, really ancient fragment of it. And then we've got, you know, maybe a hundred um copies of, of of various versions of it um and let's say we got one word that's a little because a couple of letters out of order or something like that we can put all the documents together and just read them all yeah. next to each other and then it's like oh, hang on a second the word doesn't say um smellow it says yellow hmm. and it's very clear because yeah. you know um out of these documents we have uh you know 29 out of 30 say yellow but one says smell so done easy 
Yeah. And if we're not sure, we've also got a trans, we've got documents that no longer exist, but they were used to translate like manuscripts that no longer exist or can't be found or, or, or aren't found yet that maybe older, uh, say Coptic or something was, was translated from. You could go and have a look and say, okay, this Coptic version we have, what did it translate the word as? And then have a look compared to the manuscripts we do have. And we're like, oh, it's consistent. We're fine. Mm-hmm. And you've yeah. got plenty of samples to choose, to um, compare with each other and go, oh, hang on a second, there's a consistent consensus here. This is what it says. Yeah. Well, I think it's not like we're stabbing in the dark. So it's pretty simple. Hey? Yeah. And I would say also, too, I think um, even if someone is, is uh, you know, prompted by the Holy Spirit to write one of these books, um, you never, just like with everything we do, um, I've never been a right a hundred percent of the time, even when I'm being led by the Lord, you know? So, um, but having that many people writing, confirming, you have actually a very stable confirmation system. Exactly. Because it's not all on one person's shoulders, right? You know, uh, so there's that too. Yeah. And the great bit about the last 150 years or so is that, historical sorry uh, archaeological finds uh, especially through the modernist era uh, of the middle of the 20th century where uh, there's a sort of fresh wave of textual criticism uh, ironically right in the middle of that or I kind of say ironically it's probably god's plan you get things like the um, dead sea scrolls and mm-hmm. other new testament um the dead sea scrolls aren't necessarily a great example for the new testament but um, you've get you get New Testament manuscripts popping up as well that are older and able to go. Hang on a second, see this thing we've always thought was correct. It it's correct. It's always yeah. confirmed constantly. Yeah. It's only more confirmed. It uh, and the same with different archaeological digs where they find things uh, and like hang on a second, we thought this was historically inaccurate, but now we see we were wrong. It is accurate. Yeah. And there's still uh, more so- to be discovered to confirm mm. even more. You know, like yeah. like there's still. I mean, they're still exploring ancient egypt for example and they're still yeah. finding constantly co- finding new things digging up new things you know so yeah. it's not like we're there's gonna as history progresses even if things get more and more crazy um and there's more and more scrutiny of the bible like we're experiencing mm-hmm. right now uh, there's yep. gonna be always gonna be new discoveries that can conf- continue to confirm as they have throughout history yep. you know because there's always like we were talking about before about extra biblical things have confirmed things outside of the Bible have confirmed things in the Bible throughout history. So, yeah. Um, So I might just summarize the canon because we've gone a while already and uh, I'd like to move on and, um, and I can put, we can put some references so you can read more. Uh, We can't teach the whole thing in an hour, Uh, but to put it in simple terms, like this new Testament canon, uh, we've got these multiple uh, different councils over the first uh, 400 years Basically, they're getting together and they're not saying, what do we think is the word of God? We're saying, hey, what has been uh, always accepted as authoritative in our communities right from the time when people were still alive who either were the apostles or were were alive during the lifetime of the apostles? Can we, or did this literature come from left to field? And it just gets more and more refined over those first 400 years. But... um, by the end of the first century, there's already widespread acceptance of the four Gospels, the Book of Acts, the letters of Paul, and um, uh, as, canon, as, as uh, canonical scripture. So it's already, we know this is the word of God. We know we, we were either alive when these guys were alive or yeah. the people that are with us now were alive. Um, there are some questions about John, um, around John and Hebrews. Um, 
so that leaves us um, even at that point um, before they're canonized, so to speak. We've still got the four gospels and letters of Paul with a complete gospel. We haven't got a problem here. Um, so as far as criteria, in really simple terms, when these guys are looking at these um, these various councils throughout the first 400 years, they're, they're not asking um, what, are we rec- what do we reckon uh, is the word of God, what, what agrees with our theology. We're looking for authorship. Is it connected to the apostles directly, mm. either by an apostle or somebody that um, is a witness to the apostles? And um, so that's that's kind of tier one. And then is it why... Is it has it always been widely accepted and used by uh, its audience by the the, the church? Um, so we're not saying we're not trying to authorize something in our own authority. We're saying, hey, what already has authority? Like what what already has witnesses? What already has you know you know uh, who was at the Super Bowl? Like what what what, what sort of st- what, what literature was on the field at the time mm-hmm. that like, that the thousands of people and all the cameras can confirm? It's these. And then, um, and then, lastly, um, it's conformance to the gospel tradition. Uh, and so, is it teaching Gnosticism? Is it teaching something whacked? Is it teaching some weird stuff? Or is it actually just further confirmation of the things that the apostles have been teaching for the last hundred years? Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fairly simple. Um, a couple of good places to go if you want to hear more about this, um, and we'll get these links up for you after the yeah. the, um, the show today. But um, uh, one I really like, and I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the disclaimer. Um, don't say hashtag cast and says blah blah blah. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna read it anyway. Uh, that sounds arrogant. I just, I just not engaging that spirit. Is what I mean, no, I, uh, I think we're here together it. to to follow Jesus, not um, uh, not, not just rip into each other, yeah, um, right. or, or have unnecessary quarrels and, and questions. So, uh, when I reference these people, I'm not endorsing their theology or saying where they're at spiritually right now. But the specific contents that I refer to have been helpful resources. That makes sense. Everybody Perfect. good? Crystal clear. Uh, yeah. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Yeah. Um, so uh, one I got here is uh, Dr. Robert Plummer. He might be might be Plumer, but it's a double M. And uh, we'll get some links up for you. I've got them all uh, ready to send to Jeff and the team um, from Honest Answers. And uh, it's about a 14-minute uh, video called How Did We Get the Bible? Mm. Uh, he pretty much says in better terms and more elaborate terms uh, what we've been talking about for the last you know, half an hour. Uh, next one is Can We Rely on the Canon? These are on YouTube, by the way. Uh, Can We Rely on the Canon by the Gospel Coalition? Again, very straightforward explanation of what I just said about what the Canon is and what it means and how it came about. Um, another good one is um, a classic book, um, The Case for Christ by Lee Strabell um so uh it's got a bit of age on it now but just simple things it talks about manuscripts it talks about really simple questions about how can we rely on the bible and and that jesus christ actually lived um another one is uh josh mcdowell's uh, evidence that demands a verdict i think they've got about 10 different um uh, uh re-releases of, yeah that, uh, of that was a, that was a really popular one um but again um just simple straightforward information it's it can be a lot to take in and it don't necessarily like set you on fire for jesus reading it but it will eliminate some of these cognitive dissonances that you have like well hang on how can i trust the bible my friend says this and my friend says that and they he says they changed it what about king james which is uh-huh. about 1500 years out of date um but um but uh just stuff like that, being able to read these simple things, just knowing, hey, this is where I got the Bible that I put so much faith in this word of God. 
um, and hinge my whole life and eternity on um, knowing these simple things is really, really helpful. Yeah. Well, and the thing that the big takeaway so far that I um, just from listening to you talking about the history of um, authenticity and and even it being challenged uh, throughout history is that that's happening again. And the thing that academia tends to do and progressivism or whatever is it's a reskinned same old, same old, you know, of, of constantly going back and being like, no, 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 no. This time we got the thing that is going to discredit it. And yeah. I, remember, I think it was, there was like a documentary that came out. Uh, it was when I was in YWAM. It was like 2007 or something like that. And, and uh, it was like, oh, we found a tomb. And it's Jesus and Mary. There they are buried together. Case closed. Jesus did. You know, it's like, do you know how many people were named Mary and Jesus back then? You know, so right. it's just like so funny. Um, but uh, the big takeaway, though, is that, oh, it's the same. And so I think yeah. it is important to be able to recount these things that, that how uh, how well proven Scripture actually is. The New Testament actually yeah. is the testimonies of these people. Uh, apostles it's been passed down it's from you know we're talking about the multiple angles of the super bowl thing that's what's happened yeah. um and so you cannot deny it and and the fact that academia has has uh out of one side of the mouth been like oh we can't prove the new testament but then they're like oh here's here's plato who has 10 yeah. or 15 or whatever you know so yeah the double standards are pretty yeah definitely double standard yeah which I is i mean satan say. come on you know it's like yeah, totally you know yeah, so, yeah, exactly. When people, even ourselves, when we find ourselves or really smart people doing really un, uncommonly um, unsensible things, there's usually the enemy involved. Yep. To, you know, that's the spirit involved. Yeah. Um, another great place to look as far as um, documents go, I've really liked the little bit that I've read um, so far from these guys is um, uh, truthfaithandreason.com. Um, Case Making 101 does the Bible compare. How does it compare with uh, other, other uh, ancient documents? And um, reading right through it is really good because it just very logically lays it out step by step. So you get a really good idea of what's going on there. Yeah. Which is awesome. awesome. Praise God. Yeah. Um, so let's let's say we've laid a brick now. Like we've we've laid a big stone in the corner that's that's immovable. And yeah, there, there's probably more for many people listening to this to go and, and have a look at and read and stuff like that to go, okay, well, the, the brick's real. But now that we've laid that block, what we want to build on top of that is, okay, now that we know that the scriptures that we have are reliable in terms of um, they are what Jesus said, they are what Paul said, they are what the uh, the ancient prophets um, said, um, and uh, we've got enough witnesses and, um, you know, a few thousand years of Jewish history, mm-hmm. not to mention things like Dead Sea Scrolls and other things that, that, that date back long enough into the BC period to go, hang on a second, Isaiah didn't um, wait for the prophecy to be fulfilled and then write it down as though he wrote it 400 years earlier. Um, we've got proof. Yeah, now. come on. Um, so now that we know that stuff, that, we've, that there's enough reliability on that space, we want to talk. A, I want to talk a, quickly about um, what we mean by uh, inspiration. So we say, um, "Hey, this word's reliable," uh, and we use um, words like inerrancy and inerrancy um, in its most extreme. Um, or, or uh, uh, in its most um, specific and absolute form is saying, hey, there isn't 
a single letter um, uh, out of joint. There's no differences of facts, but um, probably um, I'll just go straight to the jugular. There's lots of conversation we'd have about inerrancy and about inspiration, but I want to present to you what most of, um, if not all of, the healthy um, uh, living by the leading of Jesus Christ and his word and his spirit body of Christ across the planet would either consciously or unconsciously ascribe to. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to use these words, plenary verbal inspiration. Plenary verbal inspiration. Okay. So uh, I'm going to break it down. It's um, like most theological words. Um, it's just, it's just some really uh, long or uncommon words that um are trying to just mean what they say in very specific terms. So plenary means the full or complete. It means the whole lot. Um, so plenary, if we were to draw a circle around the whole, um, you know, 66 books of our um, canon of scripture and say we believe the whole lot is included in this statement. Verbal, uh, and specifically in these terms, means that we believe that the specific words that the original writers used are inspired by God. That'll get important in a second when I give a couple of examples. Okay. Um, but um, so, you know, if I choose to say, um, if I choose to say, oh, this is a classic one, like if I choose to say something's off-white as opposed to saying it's cream or it's beige or it's ivory or white, um, if you were to say like, um, well, I believe that uh, in plenary verbal inspiration, then if somebody comes along and says, well, hang on, maybe Carsten meant uh, uh, ivory uh, or beige. And we're like, no, no, he said um, off-white for a reason, not, not necessarily anything else. He used that specific language for a reason. So we're going to say that the when we say plenary verbal inspiration, we believe that all of it and that the specific language that the original authors used um, is specifically inspired by God. Mm. Okay. Um, now, in terms of how that inspiration happened, um, plenary verbal inspiration isn't saying that God dictated to every author. So what I mean by dictation is that uh, imagine I'm sitting here, I've got the Holy Spirit uh, over my shoulder here, and he's saying, all right, Carsten, I want you to say plenary means full or complete, meaning <laughs> the Bible, yeah, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, but um, what we are, even though, there are pockets of that that are very clear in the scripture. So um, say uh, uh, Jeremiah, God comes to him and says, what do you see? I see an almond branch. And he writes it down. The conversation is having with God is writing it down word for word. Um, or, you know, Revelation where the, the angel says, write this down. Right? Yeah. There's like a, uh, a legit dictation of yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Either dictation or conveying um, yeah. I want you to specifically write what you see or what you hear or yeah. so on. Um, or, or we see, um, to see that, but, but when, but plenary verbal inspiration isn't necessarily saying that um, that's exactly how it happened every time. In some cases, it's very clear that it didn't. The scripture itself says that. Um, and historical books like Chronicles and stuff like that, that how, how could you possibly prove that? Um, it doesn't even seem logical hmm. um, or, or viable. So, um, when we say inspiration, we're saying, hey, uh, the word inspiration, it means to be breathed, like a, um, 
to put the spirit into something and um, both Greek and Hebrew, the word for spirit means breath or wind, uh, which is awesome. Um, we're saying that it's breathed from the Holy Spirit into somebody and then whatever they happen to write, however it happened, whether it was through uh, memory or dictation or, or um, they felt an unction or a moving from the Holy Spirit yeah. or they had a conversation with God or they're making a prose argument um, like much of Paul's letters, especially things like Galatians and Romans, um, that the language that they use and the way they gave that argument was inspired. It was it was generated inside of them by the movement of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it wasn't a total specific... like like God is inside of them, working them with controls, dictating every little thing. Like a good example. I mean, maybe this is a good example. When you get a prophetic word and all of a sudden you're like, you get something and you may hear a couple of specific words you're supposed to say, but then there's all this other stuff that it's still God breathed, but yeah. then the God, it's the way that God partners with us too. You know, yeah. where it's like, I'm involved in this process of delivering this word to somebody yeah. that, from God, but you know, it's, yeah. So there's a couple of key words or a couple of key phrases, but then there's other things that I'm like. And then there's just just knowing, and then how I describe it is still inspired, but it's also not, you know, yeah. And God knows who He's using, so He knows the language you'll choose, yeah, and that's how you flavor it. And yeah. uh, and He knew the authors of the New Testament, as He knows us all, yeah. Um, and then when you receive a prophecy like that, like if uh, if somebody says, like, I really feel like I need to describe this picture I'm seeing to you as um, specifically light brown, uh, and you're like, okay. Then, then, and so you don't go away and you say, well, they told me it was brown and you write that down. He said, I feel like you write it down word for word because God might've been using a specific language. Or if you've ever given a word, you give someone a prophetic word, you're just like, I just feel, let's say, um, I don't know, hope or, um, mm-hmm. or um, you know, um, something in, crazy like um, polka duck, which is uh, what prophet did that in a, um, uh, on a, uh, I, won't, I won't quote him directly, even though he's awesome. Um, but you know, he's like, I just felt the Lord say, I need to say the word polka duck. And this lady comes forward, it was their business. And uh, and then he, you know, and so um if you go fiddling with um saying, well, maybe the, the original author, maybe it doesn't matter what words they chose, then you start disqualifying yourself from potentially from revelation because yeah, you start come on. fiddle with the words. And so yep. plenary verbal inspiration is like we need to trust that the words that they used uh, were the ones that God intended them to use. Mm, yeah. Um so that's what we mean by plenary verbal inspiration. And it recognized that, um, that even though there's a human element, the Holy Spirit's the ultimate author, uh, that he's done it through different ones. Uh, the Bible Project, so just to reference another great place to look at, if you want to look at the Bible Project on YouTube, um, what is the Bible, and look at inspirations for the Bible Project, they're great um, cartoon uh, or graphics. Yeah, um, they're based in Portland, Oregon. Stuff. Yeah, a great, great friends stuff. that work there. Awesome. And I really love it. So if you want to look that up, that's a great way to look at inspiration. It's a beautiful one about um, having all these instruments, but one same wind blowing through them all. Mm. Um, And so that's a great picture of inspiration. Mm. Um, And also they've got a great, um, you know, what is the Bible? Those first two videos that they do on what is the Bible, this beautiful journey on the Tanakh and what are these books are, where they came from and the overall journey of the Bible. Yeah. It's a really, really helpful resource for you to go and look Mm -hmm. at if you want to look at more of that. Yep. Um, and plenary verbal inspiration gives room to this idea of like, you know, one gospel writer sees three angels, but one gospel writer sees four angels. It doesn't mean the event didn't happen or that they're liars. 
they just that's what they saw so they wrote down as a reliable witness what they saw. yeah maybe one angel was behind the other angel you know? <laughs> yeah who knows and sometimes you tell the story differently um and so the details might uh -huh. be in different orders and stuff yep. like that but it's very clear that it happened and that the guts of what there happened and i and i, and I believe that it adds to the reliability like having mm -hmm. multiple cameras at the super bowl rather than subtracting it from it Yep. Where one camera, it looks like the player's over the sideline, but another camera's like, hey, no, they actually weren't. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash give and become a partner today. And um, and so there's, that's actually helpful historically mm -hmm. for us. Uh, rather than having just one document or one Roman historian that says it happened this way. And that well, how, do you, how can you prove that? But if you've got multiple uh, authors there, um, and you have to put it in context too. If somebody's writing a, uh, an argument or, or um, we call it prose as far as the style of, of, of literature that most of Paul's letters are, well, they're not describing an event. They're actually making a specific explanation and argument about what they specifically what they mean and what the gospel is or what the new covenant does for us and how we engage with it. So we can't say, well, maybe, maybe that's, Paul's point of view, but maybe somebody had another. It's, it's not like that because he's not describing it. We have an eyewitness event. He's explaining something specifically. So mm -hmm. it's not subjective to, uh, in any way, shape or form. And it doesn't need to be treated like that. You have to put it in context. Yeah. Um, you probably don't have much time to go here right now because I want to move on to the next thing. But um, yep. we're at an hour already as we do. Yeah, we're, yeah, it's we, how we do. Praise God. Uh, I know this stuff's quite meaty, but we're just trying to lay some simple foundation. Um, is that, that that's the type of genre of literature? Uh, I've heard people say, well, um, Genesis is, is poetic. It's not meant to be a scientific expose yeah, of how the, how the world was created. Well, okay. It's not written as poetry. <laughs> so you can't treat it as poetry. Yeah. Well. And even if it felt like that, or even if someone argued that point or could prove that, you want to ask the question, how did the New Testament writers treat it? Well, Paul in Romans 5 says that sin came through one man. That's right. So all these attempts to try to jam um, things like uh, evolution into creation, all that sort of stuff. Sorry, but the plumb line of the word of God says no. Yeah, come on. And you can go and people will, will throw around words but like um, uber literal translation. But what they've done is they've taken, it's called gaslighting, where you try to throw um, the whole thing into a different realm of reality um, just to allay suspicion and doubt on what's been said. But it actually hasn't got any fact check to it. It's got no context to it. It's got no uh, reality to it. It's just trying to change your reality. And um, there's just no content to it. It's rubbish. Yeah. Um, it's a hollow um, uh, argumentation that, uh, that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't stand up to the self-confirming um, nature of the Bible. Mm. Yeah. Um, another one is um, in terms of proving that this is about like verbal inspiration. Um, when we read uh, Galatians, Paul uses the term seed. He says, he quotes uh, Genesis 15 and a few other spots where God speaks to Abraham and Abraham comes to so God comes to Abraham and says, these promises are to you and to your seed. And that seed, even though it's a collective um, and potentially plural noun in, um, in English, it is not that case in Hebrew. It's single. Hmm. 
and he uses that and says, hey, the promises weren't made to Abraham and his seed, ref- seeds referring to many. They're made to his seed referring to one. Interesting. And that one is okay. Jesus Christ. So Paul interprets the Old Testament as verbally, as in the specific verbs that were used. So specific uh, verbs, verbal, the specific language that was used. He says that's inspired wow. in the way he translates it. Yeah. Very, very important. Yeah. Jesus said that um, not a jot or tittle or not a, um, I can't remember the Hebrew reference, um, the parts of the letters. Sorry, Josiah and the other Hebrew scholars that are, Listening to me, I can't remember. Um, but uh, but he says that there's not even a part of the letter that can fall out of the law before everything's fulfilled, until everything's fulfilled. Um, and uh, so he he's not like um, even Jesus references the Old Testament as saying, "Hey, it's it's completely and and every word specifically the language." Second? Are you talking about? Yes, sorry. Every, yes, yes. It's a yard. Yard. It's a yard. A very yes. small amount. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there's another word he uses as well. It's um, yod, a yod, or a, 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 whatever. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, but in English, there's you know not a or a, you know you put in Greek not a single iota, which is the smallest amount and also the smallest letter, um, will fall out of the the, the law. And um, um, so he uh, even quotes psalms to the pharisees and the teachers of the law and says uh he quotes david and says um um you said that they are gods and then he says if god calls them gods and the law cannot the scripture cannot be broken because he's talking about the specific language which is really wild mm-hmm. uh, so i've got this saying um i use when i teach the bible so the best way to interpret scripture is through scripture mm-hmm. so if you want to and we you know we talked about that last year um, if you want to know what the Bible says about itself, then read it. Yeah. Find out because the best lens you have for the Old Testament is the New Testament. Yeah. Um, well, and then like the Old Testament is constantly a a a, a uh, an echo of thing or a, a whisper of things to come in the New Testament. There's so many mm. things throughout the Bible in the Old Testament that you see are like kind of depictions of of elements of of christ and things that happen and it's like dude that's like when you start to see that it's like big brain stuff man it's just like man you want to get a big brain you're gonna put up that slide uh the interconnectivity slide the picture this thing's wild wait till you see this guys this is amazing uh, it's it's not that one it'll be a few ahead we'll talk about meta narrative in a second all right so this picture here this was put together by a uh, lutheran pastor and his friend um this is a picture of the entire Bible self-referencing itself. Come on now. Or cross-referencing itself. Now, that looks like a lot. Um, and they've color-coded it beautifully. Um, the the darker, more purple end of the rainbow, um, they're, they're, that's um, you'll see that where, where the distance between the books and, and, and chapters is closer together. But as we get out to that um, yellow-green um, end of the spectrum, um, we've got, you know, Genesis 1 being referenced at the end of Revelation. There are, so according to these guys, 63,779 cross-references pictured there. Come on. So cool. Uh, I've got a friend of mine um, 
it's a pastor says that um he's just, he's just this, this beautiful line he says that the bible is the fir- the world's first hyperlinked book i love that i thought i'll just let that sit for a second the world's first hyperlinked book so every time you click on a scripture metaphorically you are opening the door to thousands of connected realities within the bible mm-hmm. um this isn't like the, the i won't quite go there but uh, i think we talked about last year actually but um the prophecies about jesus it isn't like oh there's a couple in daniel and a couple in isaiah like let's say we'll say oh it's isaiah 53 it's not like you're clutching at straws for a couple of major prophecies about jesus there are thousands of references yeah. And if you have eyes to see them, they are amazing. Mm. And the Holy Spirit will help you. Because when we say hyperlink, like when you have written paper on a page, you can't hyperlink that. Um, it's an extra dimension that's opened up within an electronic universe that we, when we click on things on our computer. But the Bible is the same way in the spirit. When you read a scripture, it is opening the door to the realm of the spirit and all the truth that he contains. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. constantly um, backed by and fueled by this, the reality of the scriptures, the multi-dimensional, um, and I don't just mean multi-dimensional in like uh, metaphorical sense. So multi-dimensions—they have spiritual realities attached to them that are the testimony of Jesus Christ. Mm. They're living and breathing and eternal. Mm. Uh, when I looked at this for the first time, I my first thought was. Only God could have done that because, you know, if anybody gets into any kind of man-made lore, you know, uh, whether it's Star Wars or whatever, you're going to find errors. You're going to find contradictions. No matter how careful someone is, you will find errors and contradictions. And so looking at this, I'm like having that knowledge going like (sighs) only God could have done this. What you're looking at right here, that is like impossible to do it's beyond genius it's so amazing and he's consistent in character and nature and covenants yeah from start to finish and yet it's through multiple authors yeah come on it's so cool that's supernatural it's in it's impossible without god being real and imminent in the lives of the authors and the communities and the the peoples um as the you know people of israel and and the, the new testament um uh, you know, grow and 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 uh, go throughout time. This is, I, I think, it's my favorite things. And mm. um, like, this I, is one of those I, things that, like, you just let it sink in. Everybody, like, yeah. man, like, I, I just like how sovereign God is, how big He is. I'm just like, <sighs> that's why, honestly, man, I think of like people that are going and trying to muddy Scripture up, sowing seeds of doubt. That's yep. a scary thing when you think about like what you, mm-hmm. what those people are going up against. And I'm not saying like God's like, you know, uh, you know, they're forever specifically damned. angry. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, I mean, honestly, like don't mess with God's word. Like, yeah, really. That's the warning of revelation, you know? Yeah. He, uh, he says, you know, here adds to this, you know, like, you know, or, um, even um, is it Proverbs or Psalms that says, uh, don't add to his word or you'd be proved a liar, you know? And yeah. um yeah, it's wild. Um, the gospel is throughout all of scripture. If you, can you get, jump to the meta narrative, the picture of the journey of the meta narrative? Yeah, that one there. Oh, th- this one right here. Okay. Yeah, that one there. Yeah. So I'm actually going to read off the other page, but um, uh, this 
uh, meta narrative. So the the word meta narrative, um, it's the big picture. It's the overarching story of something. The meta narrative in, in really simple terms. And if you get that idea that the whole Bible, the whole witness of God throughout history, from creation um, to the final consummation of the kingdom, um, when Jesus returns and uh, eternity, that's um, that that we are um, a part of. The meta narrative is this is this is this overarching story. What is God's heart, which doesn't change, and what is He doing, and who is the central figure of it all? Um, and why it's important is if you don't know the the story of God redeeming humanity, that it's from start to finish, and it's always been His heartbeat, always been His plan. People quote scriptures like the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. Um, you won't be able to see His heart in all of it. And so you'll get bogged down, especially um, one of the most common ones is people bogged down in um, um, the removal of the Canaanites from the promised land and stuff. It's like, well, how come God said kill all these people and stuff mm. like that? But if you're disconnected from the big picture, then you'll misinterpret his heart and think that God changes or that he does this and does that. Or if you miss his heart and the big picture of what God's actually trying to do on the earth, then you, you can get lost in the, in the, the covenants, in the minutiae, in the, um, the different parts and not actually see how it all interconnects into this one story of what God's doing. Mm. Um, you can misinterpret individual stories and fail to interpret them in the light of the rest of Scripture because mm. the best way to interpret Scripture is Scripture. Um, and we want to understand what the big picture, the big story, the meta narrative, how is the universe constructed and what is the big story that plays out within it? Um, what is God's story? Um, so that we can answer the basic questions of life. That's a massive rabbit hole and very relevant right now. But the point is, if you don't get the big picture, you can start pulling stuff out of Scripture, not knowing the big picture or not knowing what the rest of Scripture says and just start arguing with it and fiddling with it and saying, well, maybe it means this or maybe it means that or whatever. Uh, we've seen it all before in many different colors but um, in many different flavors. But if you miss the meta narrative of the big picture of Scripture, then you'll, you can run off course and start pulling little bits of Scripture out Yep. Um, or you can do what um, different theologians have done. Um, some of the earliest liberal theologians of the 1800s, um, some even in the um, Reformation who were not necessarily reformers in the healthy sense of the word. They were just fresh textual critics. Um, start like uh, chopping up the, the word of God and saying, well, the Old Testament can't possibly be inspired because of blah, blah, blah. But uh -huh. they forget that the rest of Scripture, the New Testament, uses it as its foundation of authority. Yeah, and proof of the gospel, uh -huh. the proof of Jesus Christ. You forget that there's 63, nearly 64,000 um, intercross references within the Bible that it proves itself. You forget all of the history and where, um, you know, um, Jesus himself says to the Samaritan woman, salvation is from the Jews. Like, you just, you, you, if you cross one out, you cross out the other. Yeah. But if you have the meta narrative, then you, you've got a better um, grounding. You go, hang on a second, there's a big story here. Hmm. Um, I'll give you a, probably a more articulate um, couple of definitions or working definitions of meta narrative. One is an overarching account or interpretation of events and circumstances that provides a pattern or structure for people's beliefs and gives meaning to their experiences. Why that's important is, is is when we read the different stories throughout the Bible, if we understand the meta narrative, the overarching story, we can contextualize them and give meaning to them or find yeah. the correct meaning from them. Mm -hmm. 
another one is a meta narrative also called a grand narrative is an overarching story or storyline that gives context and meaning to the purpose of all life uh, and in fact where we very much get words like meta narrative is from this philosophical uh classic philosophers and so on um but we need to know that so we know what god's going on um if you don't have that then for example when god seems to deliver judgment on israel if we don't understand the meta narrative we don't understand the covenants that they're a part of and how those play into the big picture of god's redemption we can see it as a reflection of an angry wrathful distant god um um or, or just totally detached from the bigger story of his redemption and that's happened we've we've i'm sure you and i in our own faith journeys and, and many people listening you've done that exact thing where we've like hang on a second but i thought god's heart was this but if you're able to read the big narrative like ah oh, it fits into a bigger picture of god is mm-hmm. actually trying to redeem humanity here um and understanding things like the covenants within that meta narrative um will help you get a picture of god's greater purpose and then specify his specific actions at certain times in particular covenants um the best example is the um exiles israel was told plainly under the old covenant with moses or the mosaic covenant that if you um depart from me that you will go into exile and then when it happens most notably two specific exiles you've got two, two main exiles the, the prophets themselves step up and say did not the lord warn you this is what would happen that isn't a picture of god's heart for humanity overall it's, it's just it's just a demonstration of what's happening within the covenant sure that's actually part of the process of god teaching humanity and eventually redeeming humanity yeah well i think it's also important i mean like you're talking about to not look at things so narrowly you're mm-hmm. looking at an isolated, uh, isolated incident, like seeing a, 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 like if you become a fly in the wall in an instant on a parent disciplining their child and you go, geez, that parent is horrible. Yeah, you go, there you go. There's, uh, I, man, I can't tell you how many times I see online of people trying to be like, it's these, you know, these like gotcha moments they, with like with Christians or people that believe in the Bible, they're like, Oh, this is going to be the thing, this tired argument that people have tried to use for centuries. I'm going to get them with this. Yeah. You know? And it's always isolating us, the end result of like God and uh, the exile of, of Israel, yeah. you know, um, into Babylon, Babylon captivity and all that. And they're like, well, why would God do this? I'm like, do you know how many times God in his grace gave that he said if you do not if you do not alter your course this will happen if you do not alter your course this will happen you know um and so we need to look at the the larger picture of the mm-hmm. story that's why it's so important to read your bible yes because I mean, and, and to like really read it not just like okay yeah. i read it to say i read it um but to really read your bible um yeah. because man so many times i've seen people's theology get wonky or misunderstanding God and then that altering their theology of who they think God is, you know, all that stuff. Man, the, that's such a great, couple of great examples, Jeff, well done, uh, especially the parent one. Yeah. Um, but even like the exiles and stuff like that, even though the, the Mosaic covenant says that's the outcome, God goes above and beyond what he covenanted mm. because mercy triumphs over judgment. And yep. you think, see things like, uh, I know this is a popular word in the prophetic in certain, at certain times, but, um, things like uh, uh, remnant yeah, and they talk about the faithful remnant, but actually, and, and there are some spiritual realities 
that that are um, kind of actually a bit scary for people that that aren't stewarding um, the body of Christ properly. But um, in terms of um, what he meant specifically in terms of remnant in books like Jeremiah and um, and even like um, uh, Nehemiah, um, who's not necessarily a prophet per se, they reference this idea of God like refusing to completely destroy Israel. Mm-hmm. That's what the remnant, the idea of remnant is. And even like with Elijah, he's like, there's nobody left. Everybody's yeah. forsaken you and they're following Baal. And God's like, no, I've actually in my mercy. And this is quoted in, um, in Romans 9 through 11, talking about God's mercy to Israel. Um, and so it should be because the New Testament is our best um, lens for the Old Testament. It's our, it's our um, commentary, um, among other things. And he says, he says, I've I've kept five thousand men to myself. In Nehemiah, he's like um, appeals to God's mercy. He's like, no, I've kept a co- you've kept a covenant. Like you didn't destroy us. In Isaiah, constantly prophesies, if the Lord had not left us a remnant, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm. He he refuses out of love to restore destroy Israel, even though the covenant of Moses says that he should. Hmm. That's the real story. And when you want to talk about meta narrative, you can catch that. Then when you see judgment, you're like, yeah, they did the wrong thing. They fall into the consequences of their sin. And even then God's appealing to them saying, hey, I can't destroy you. I love you. Would you please return to me? Which sounds a whole lot like the gospel, hey. Yeah, I was thinking Where that. he says, hey, there's a world that's in big problem, like big troubles, in absolute darkness. And um, and in many ways in this season seems to be growing. Um, and then... His God's response is, I'll just quote Paul here, but now God has appointed a day in which to judge the earth. And now he says he requires all men to repent. And um, and th- that's the same message. It's like, hey, there is a day of judgment, but I would much prefer you came back to me because I love you and I sent my son to die for you. That's the grand narrative of scripture. Hmm. If you can catch it, you'll understand all these little stories. They're not they're not a reflection of an angry, wrathful, horrible God who's distant. There are they're like you can see a God at stiff-necked people. Um, and the, I'm not saying that the that the Jewish nation was specifically worse than the rest of humanity. Think of it more like a petri dish where you take a sample of humanity and say, Hey, this is what you really like. Mm-hmm. But I'm a merciful God and I want to save you and change you and love you. And I'll use Israel as the petri dish, the the sample of what this can look like of my mercy over a persistently sinful people. And then when you get it and you write down two and a half thousand years, give or take of history of how I work and my mercy and this idea of blood sacrifice for forgiving of sins. And, and, and that it doesn't work for you to try in your own righteousness to live that way. You need my mercy. Now I'm going to send my son to to be the executive of this administration of mercy upon the earth for all. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that slide we put up, if you don't mind putting it back up again, um, you see Jesus at creation and you see the fall of mankind. And even in that, from the first words out of God's mouth, he's like uh, about the curse that comes with the fall. He says to the, he says that um, to the woman uh, that, um, you know, uh, he will, um, the enemy will, uh, will bruise his heel, but he'll crush his head. Um, <clears throat> and then we see redemption in Jesus. And then we see restoration 
um, in the church, which we see the new creation. We see what it looks like to walk in fellowship with the Father and a, a holiness um, that comes from God outworked in our lives and a, a, a sacrificial uh, love for God and the world. And then the consummation in which Jesus returns mm. and Jesus is the common theme throughout it all. And um, if you think Jesus is in, in um, Genesis 1, um, just read John 1. This one was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him, and there's nothing that was created that wasn't created through him, talking about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, that might be enough for today in terms of information. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lot, but I, I mean, honestly, I was, I was locked in the whole time, man. Like I, this is so it's dense, but I, I think again, like I said at the top of the show, now I just want to go read my Bible. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that that's the result. That's what should be produced as a result of something like this. Is like absolutely not frustration. Like oh man, there's just so much to know. I'm like, if you dive into the scripture and you ask God to reveal His <sighs> secrets to you, He will. It's a guarantee. Come on. So. Like baby steps. If you've never yeah. read the whole Bible before and you're like, just start, you know, yep. and ask God to reveal his secrets to you. Oh, I love how we work together, Jeff, because you're hearing from the Holy Spirit what exactly yeah. I felt to say today. So we're going to do a quick um, practical exercise. Okay. Uh, very simple practical exercise today. And many of you have done this before in some version or form. Um, some people call this a, um, the devotional style. Uh, I, I think that the classic definitions of devotional style um, meditation on the scriptures uh, underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures to cross-reference themselves. I'm not having gone anywhere. I'm just saying, like, you read these things, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to meditate on the scripture and I'm going to um, ask the Holy Spirit. But remember, all revelation comes from him. And he knows his scriptures very well because he is them. <laughs> um, and so he's the ultimate uh, witness to his own word um, because he is it. And uh, he will invite you into realities and understanding. Um, so it's funny, I caught myself uh, contradicting my own um, teaching about uh, public speaking. Uh, I teach people not to say um or use joining words that are unnecessary. But today I'm trying to take my time with some of these things. So if I use an um for a little bit, I'm kind of doing it on purpose because I yeah. want to be pensive enough. I'd rather. Well, look I was judging you hardcore the whole time. Thanks, mate. So, you know, just. <laughs> I'd rather look less professional and give yeah. you better and give you better. Um, yeah. Impart real faith and, and, Absolutely. and Holy Spirit than have a polished presentation. Yeah, and come uh, on. Not that excellence is wrong, but have it, and then not have the you know the content and the power to it. So the the simple exercise is this: is to take a portion of scripture, and I give a couple of suggestions because they're um, fairly uh, self-explanatory um, chapters. And so one would be Romans chapter eight. Another one would be Genesis chapter one. Uh, and uh, John chapter one. You can read any piece of scripture you want, and you won't be able to read these all at once uh, in this one exercise. But they're a good one. To, these are good chapters to work through. Um, and John fifteen as well. 
Yeah. So great, some some great chapters just to work through. Um, so that's Romans eight, Genesis chapter one, John chapter one, or John chapter fifteen for yep. those who missed those. Uh, another good one would be Ephesians chapter 1. There we go. And probably the first um, 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And he works your way through those. So what you want to do is take a, a portion of it. Now, some of you might just want to read one verse. Um, others might want to read a paragraph. Um, or you might read the whole stanza, like the whole the whole chunk. Um now, it depends on where you're at. Um, and I I think I have the Holy Spirit on this, but um, I'd rather, and I think God would rather you, read what you can digest rather than trying to read more um, yeah. in one sitting. So if that's just one verse, just read it, read it through a few times, have a couple of translations in front of you. Um, I would suggest that your core translation be the New American Standard, the 1995 print, not the, not the new 2020. Um, Because it's one of the most um, reliably uh, uh, literal translations. It probably doesn't read as smoothly as something like the ESV, which is also an excellent translation, Um, provided your print hasn't removed some of the scriptures in the New Testament that's contentious as far as their witness in the manuscripts. Um, But um, uh, take a good translation like that, the New American Standard, the NASB, um, 1995 version, um, fairly readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, ESV will also work. Um, and then maybe have an amplified Bible next to you. Um, you could have a passion translation. You could have, um, um, the, then, um, the NLT, the new living translation, oh, um, which is, NLT. um, really, really helpful actually if you're reading, um, Paul's epistles. Yeah. That was my um, first Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just remember that it's not strictly speaking a, a um, a direct translation it's um somewhere between a paraphrase and a, what's called a dynamic equivalent um so i wouldn't use it as your main um your main translation so have those handy with you i used to i when i first got saved the lord led me down this um random elevator in this tiny shopping center in the middle of nowhere um, in northwest sydney and i went down there and there's a christian bookshop like what you're hearing Help us continue to make Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. To get behind this ministry, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Now, back to the show. Like this no-name, local business, Christian bookshop with like no decorations or fanfare. It was just like this, almost like a, what we call a pop-up shop these days, but it was like 23 years ago. And I walked in there and there was this massive tome sitting on the central bench. It was a, um, it was on clearance thank God, because I had like no money at the time and I was a Christian for about five minutes. Yeah. And um, it was a parallel Bible. It had um, the New American Standard, um, the NIV, the um, Amplified Bible, and one other, oh, New King James, all like the parallel down the page in four Wow. And uh, the Lord said to me, you need to buy that Bible. And I didn't <laughs> that day. And I went back the next day and it was gone. And I prayed and, um, and repented and I... Um, um i went back again and that reappeared so i bought it straight away i was like i'm gonna be obedient yeah and uh, it was my bible for years it was like 10 10 or 12 years or something like that and um i i can't remember if i gave it away or what but um um before i knew anything about bible translations i said new american standard bible 1995 version and i was like okay. and um yeah i sort of inadvertently or prophetically stumbled into something that now yeah. i understand to be uh, probably one of the most reliable translations so do that 
read through it, read through it a few times, focus mainly on the, the core scripture. Uh, so this core translation, um, the New American Standard, the New King James would be fine as well. Um, and then ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it, to give you revelation, particularly of Jesus. Um, this one's a bit of a weird, but actually, in some respects, turn off your brain. Um, I don't mean like don't think uh, about it, but don't allow your brain to be the driving force in what you hear, mm. even though you want to read it and understand it and, and, and actually consider what the scripture is saying. Once you've thought through that, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you apart from the driving thoughts in your mind. <clears throat> Ask him for cross-references. Is there somewhere else in the Bible that's going to speak about the thing you want to show me from the scripture? Ask him, what are you saying to me, Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you a couple of um, scriptures to write, scripture references to write down that are going to help you have faith because faith is part of the process. Um, one is John six sixty three. So John six sixty three. It says, "This is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life." Yeah, I love that. And begin to pray verse. through that with the Holy Spirit. Say it out loud a couple of times, and say, "Holy Spirit, help me to understand. Put the put life or the life that's there." Reveal and put life on what you're speaking to me now through the scripture. Let it come alive to me. Let it be, um, to use a, um, a commonly used um, uh, tool, make it a rhema word for me. Let it, let it come alive to me. Let it pop out of the page to me. Or if you're reading a big chunk of scripture, you can even ask him, hey, give me, the, give me understanding of the whole stanza, which would be a really good thing to ask about Ephesians 1 and 2, 1 to 15. Or is there a particular verse that pops out to me, God, that you want to show me and teach me about from this? Uh, and again, praying John six sixty three is a great place to do that. From another one to pray is Psalm one nineteen verse eighteen. It's one of my favorite scriptures at the moment. It says, "Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law." Um, great thing to pray, especially when you're reading the Old Testament and particularly the first five books of the Bible. By the way. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy are uh, the most quoted uh, books of the New Covenant, New Testament. Interesting. Jesus I mean, that's quotes, like that's the Torah. Yeah, but, yeah. but people go, "Oh, the law doesn't matter," and what about this stuff? But they don't understand. As Timothy says, they want to be teachers of the law, but they neither understand the things that they say nor the things they make confident assertions about. Um, I will have a better answer for you. Um, to your question last year, Jeff, about how should we read the law, the Holy Spirit's going to give it to me um, because it's time. Yeah. Um, But what I will say is don't presume to throw it out um, because you'll be throwing out uh, scripture, the most quoted and referenced scriptures in the New Testament Hmm. if you throw out the four of the first five books of the Bible. So Numbers isn't isn't hugely quoted in the New Testament, Hmm. but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, hugely quoted. And not just for what the law uh, in terms of um, commandments say, 
um, but, but for their content, um, narrative and otherwise, um, the new covenants contained in Genesis. Um, and the most quoted books that Jesus quotes is Isaiah and Psalms. Yeah. Um, so it's all powerful. Um, uh, Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-inspired, God-breathed, and profitable for training in righteousness, for correction, for reproof, right? It's for doctrine. Like Paul is saying that, the guy that's like you're not under the law anymore and explains all that, which is hard to understand at first. Uh, it's not easy, and that's why the enemy's gone after things like this. Um, but um, but Paul himself is like, hey, all scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. Don't think for a second that a, a letter has fallen out of the law. Um, if anything, holiness in the new covenant that's produced by the Holy Spirit is far higher than what the law could ever produce. Um, so pray that. Pray Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. That's what David did. He, he goes over and over and over again in Psalm 119. It's, you know, over 100 verses, I think. And um, uh, he's praying and he's like, he says things like the entrance of your word brings light. Hmm. Um, so pray those things and ask him to reveal it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Jeremiah 33, uh, sorry, uh, 33.3, uh, ask of me and I will uh, tell you great and wonderful things that you do not know. Um, we used to joke around and say it's God's phone number, Jeremiah 333. <laughs> um, but it's not, it's not a joke. Like it's not, um, it's not just a cute scripture reference yeah. to make. Ask him. Yeah. The, um, revelation doesn't happen. I don't believe revelation happens through your mind. No. God can work in your mind and explain things to you, but re- the mind is for articulating revelation um, either to you or to somebody else, not not for receiving it. Uh, or not be, sorry, not not for the landing, the initial landing pad of receiving, as in as in the mind's not the source of revelation. Your spirit is. Mm-hmm. Um, so Paul says, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Yeah. And even in Job, Elihu says, um, I, I waited to speak um, because I thought that age should speak first, and he's right, and that years of life would bring wisdom. But he says it's a spirit that's in a man, and the, and the Lord gives understanding. Hmm. Um, uh, Jesus said, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, but you revealed them to babes. Paul says that the wisdom of the world is foolishness. Um, um, to God, and that He's made foolish the wisdom of the world. So you're not gonna um, like it's great we gave this information and stuff like that, but that's only to remove obstacles. It's not the source of revelation. Mm-hmm. He is, yeah, um, He's the one. He, you're not just getting information about doctrine or, or learning. You're actually He is revelation. So you're going to know a person. So let Him speak yeah. to you. Let Him talk to you. He will explain His scriptures to you, and you will understand. Even David said, you have made me wiser than all my counselors because you've given me understanding of your word and I've meditated on your testimonies. He didn't even have the New Testament. Yeah. And yet he had revelation of the new covenant. That's a yeah. controversial thing to say, but it's 
uh, I can prove it easily from the scriptures. Well, and also like just read Hebrew and look at how many times he re- the the author references David's Psalms. Yep. That was like a mind blowing thing for me when I was reading over the the summer and the fall or whenever it was. I was yeah. Like, wow. Like. Just yeah. I kept looking at the references down in the footnotes. And it was like, Psalm, 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 Psalms. I'll just read, I'll read to you a little chunk about David. So if you think the Psalms, even though it is poetry, if you think it's not prof- prophecy, I um, I joke around. I call um, the Psalms the prophet Telim, uh, which I'm probably saying it wrong. Sorry, guys that do Hebrew. Um, there's an extra syllable kind of hidden in there, Tehillim, but I can't say it properly. Um, it's the Hebrew word for the Psalms. I call it the prophet Tehillim because the Psalms are prophets. Hmm. Um, but if you read, um, uh, where are we? De- Isaiah 55. I'm talking about David. David's a prophet. Make no mistake. Not only is a prophet, but he's a key witness to Jesus Christ, as is Isaiah, which is funny because Isaiah is talking about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and David's Psalms are often quoted by the apostles in acts as evidence to the jews of jesus being the christ um it says ho everyone who thirsts come to the waters and you have no money come buy and eat sound like gospel right come buy wine and milk without money and without cost why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy listen carefully to me and eat what is good delight yourself in abundance incline your ear and come to me Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. You ready? According to the faithful mercies shown to David. And in fact, in Hebrew, it says, it says I will make an everlasting covenant to you, the faithful mercies of David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. That's God's way of saying you need to listen to David because he's a chief prophet in terms of the prophetic witness and this thing that he's witnessing to is the mercy that he received which is beyond the mosaic covenant he calls it the mercies of david and that's Mm. the new covenant Mm. he said i'll make an everlasting covenant with you it's the gospel so whatever david says we need to take very seriously in terms of who jesus christ is and he says in psalm 110 i think i said this last year with you Um, Jesus quotes David and says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Where is Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of God, waiting until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For he must be, he must reign until all his enemies are, um, put, put, um, made a footstool for his feet. Hmm. But then he says, if David called him Lord, now it's a lost in English because it says the Lord said to my Lord. But in Hebrew, it says Yahweh said to Adonai, or more correctly pronounced, Ordorn E. Ordorn means Lord and E means mine. Mm. So he says Yahweh, Father God, said to my Lord. David called Jesus Lord. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool. It's not just tricky theology. It made me weep when I read it. I realized that David, King David, called Jesus Lord. He mm. saw him who was invisible and before he came to earth and called him Lord. Mm. And he, he can go, oh, but, but it's talking about God. No, no, there's two different people, two different people of the Godhead. God in three persons, right? The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Ordoni, sit at my right hand. It's two different people. 
It's the two people, um, two of the three people of the Trinity speaking to each other in the presence of David. Hmm. Man. David called him Lord. He understood something of the new covenant. Even Job testifies to it. He says, um, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, or at the end, I will see him. Mm. Um, the Gospels in Job. In fact, it's in Job in a most extraordinary way, even in the meta narrative of Job, or the overall narrative of Job, talking about not finding our own righteousness, but one in him. Mm. Um, so take five minutes, take about two hours. Pray those scriptures, read it in multiple translations, but stick on that core translation. Under, seek to understand it with your mind first. So just understand the, the words, not necessarily have a revelation of what scripture means. Just understand the words that have been um, spoken or read in your mind and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you mean? What are you showing me? Give me cross-references. Give me revelation. Reveal Jesus. Show me. Teach me. And he'll begin to speak to you as you listen. Mm. And write it down in a journal. Ask him, pray John 6, 63. You, you said your word is spirit and life. The flesh profits nothing. So impart something to him because your word is alive and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. Ask him, hey, reveal to me wonderful things from your Lord. Open my eyes to see. I need revelation. I need you to open the eyes of my heart, my spirit, man, yeah. to understand because you are the best uh, interpreter and commentator of your own word, Holy Spirit. And um, and pray Jeremiah 33, 3. Um, God, I call to you, show me great and wonderful things. And those words, great and wonderful, in Hebrew are amazing. They mean like hidden and inaccessible and things that were previously un- not uncovered, mm. um, which is funny because the word revelation, apocalypsos, literally means to uncover something that's been hidden. So mm. you're asking God to reveal himself, reveal the hidden things, and they're there in plain sight, but they're for you to know. Mm. Ask him, give me understanding. And it's not just you can can't just put this exercise into a box and say well that's the that's the devotional style of reading the bible and it doesn't give you exegesis it doesn't give you context uh yeah if you find the context of say the book of um galatians and then read it and do the same thing with it hey holy spirit show me what did paul mean when he said one seed what does he mean that um a mediator isn't between uh, isn't between one person and himself what does that mean in Galatians chapter 3? Because there's a massive revelation there. Ask him questions. I, um, Romans 5 verses 9 and 10 used to confuse me. It says, um, um, uh, I'll just read it to you. Too many things in my head. So if you don't understand something, don't make up doctrine. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He may not answer you straight away or he might give you bits. But whatever you do, don't make up a doctrine with your mind. Or read 10,000 commentaries and go, oh, I'm not sure if I agree with such and such or such and such. It's not going to help you. You need the Holy Spirit. I mean, it might help you with the, know what the playing field is, but it won't necessarily give you revelation, especially if they're in disagreement. You won't actually know truth. Yeah. Um, Romans 5, verse 9 and 10. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That confused me. I'm like, hang on a second. Isn't the blood of Jesus enough? So I, I prayed. I asked him, hey, I don't understand what the scripture means, Holy Spirit. Reveal it to me. And I read stuff and I uh, nobody had an answer for me. 
Now, I'm not saying that nobody else has it, has the revelation of that verse. I'm just saying I couldn't find somebody that could give it to me. So I waited and I prayed and I put it on the shelf. And then it was 13 years later that he showed me the answer. But he will show you. And it was one of the most profound revelations in my life about the new yeah. covenant and the new creation. And so sometimes the greatest mystery, if you don't jump ahead of God and let him reveal to you, might be the greatest place of revelation because he is an unveiler of mysteries. Yeah, and He might just unlock a whole book to you. And that, that just that goes back to what I was saying earlier about how, you know, just be patient, you know, and it's like you're not going to sit there. Sometimes you get a revelation when you sit down, you really are diligent and you devote two hours to studying something. And sometimes it takes years, you yep. know, and and allowing that process and not getting frustrated by comparison. Like, I don't know as much as constant. I don't know as much as this person or that person. And whoa you know like it's it's pointless what's the what's yeah. it's just being diligent and and seeking seeking his word for yourself and and yeah. allowing him to speak to you um yeah. you know so um yeah um again this the appropriate response to this is is hunger to pursue yeah. the word yourself Um, you know, so, um, Kostin, I would love for you to pray for people, absolutely people and close this bad boy out. Father, thank you for the testimony of history that you have not left yourself without witness. Yeah. I pray Lord God, that uh, this, uh, video podcast would outlive us and, um, would point people towards the, the proof that's always been there, even if it's been muddied by spirits and times and seasons and different testimonies and arguments. I pray that you'd remove those obstacles, Lord, remove the arguments, equip your people. More than that, I pray that they'd know you through your word, that they'd tremble at your word, that they would um, know it as spirit and life, that it'd become part of their daily um, pursuit to read your word, that they'd hunger and thirst for it, Father. That you'd give them revelation through their spirit, man, and that would, would, would... not only articulate itself in understanding in their minds, but it would, it would manifest itself as a changed life. That you wouldn't just fill us up like bags of puffed up information and revelation and understanding, but you'd actually change us as we read the word. That you would speak to each one of us in ways that change us, Dad. Speak to us. Speak to your people, Lord. In the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, would you arise a people? And not just a small people, God, but um, all of your body would arise in revelation of your word and understanding that we would be the generation that knows and understands and lives and um, and is empowered and transformed by your word more than any generation before mm. us. In Jesus' name, that we live it, that we know you. And that the understanding of your word we have is not just doctrinal and theological, God, that we really know, that we know and that we would speak to people. <laughs> be able to put it into terms that um, bring hope and truth and that pierce the heart. And you'd bring breakthroughs where people have been in bondage as they read your word because your truth sets free. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Man, so this is a great, this series is going to be great for people. Um, you know, if you've got someone who has been in a Christian for a short while, someone who's wanting to go deeper in the word. This is just where, I mean, I know this is a lot you guys, but you can pause it 
and you, if you recommend it to people, you can say, hey, you can do it in chunks. Um, it, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be yeah. here for years to come, like Costum was saying. It's going to outlive us. Uh, and so, um, you know, but all of this is essential, especially as as being able to know the source of the word, knowing how reliable it actually is, um, yeah. is, is so important, especially Jeez. now when you're, look, a miracle, uh, you know, word of knowledge, all kinds of that stuff can bypass an academic mind like that, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we do find ourselves in situations where, uh, and Paul even got this, where like he would go to synagogues and he would talk to the Jews. Like he would always go and he would like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do apologetics with the Jews, you know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he operated in, in signs, wonders, and miracles as well. And, and I think it's important to be equipped with both. Um, yep. and to not just rely on one, uh, whether it's, oh no, it's strictly apologetics. No, it's strictly, uh, signs and wonders, wonders and miracles. Like I see, uh, and, and it's not a science of, okay, 50% of this 50% of that it's a hundred percent of both, but it's, yeah. it's going to be whatever the situation calls for. And the Holy Spirit's going to highlight that to you, but it's so important to equip ourselves with these tools. Come on. Um, it's so important. Uh, I think there's so much good stuff in here. Uh, so stick around, you guys. It's going to be an absolutely wild ride the next couple of weeks. And I'm I'm so excited. So excited for it. So, um, Costin, uh, you're not on social media per se. Oh, yeah. We'll get back on there soon. People can listen to those uh, in the meantime, the, the Outrageous Hope podcast. So. Costa, I can be you. found on Facebook, by the way. Um, I'm not active on it, but I do have teaching and posts on Facebook, uh, oh, okay. Carsten Woodhouse, and also uh, a page called Carsten Woodhouse Prophetic Revelation. Mm. Uh, so there's teaching up there. There's videos up there. There's um, prophetic words uh, from a few years ago, but some of them are still playing out now. Um, so by all means, see those. Um, if you send me a friend request, I won't get it because uh, I'm not actively um, watching those, but the content is still there. Cool. And I might be moderating it either. So if someone's put something stupid in the comments, ignore it. It's, uh, ignore it. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much, man. Um, I'm just stoked for the rest of this series for real. Uh, thank you so much, man. This was awesome. So good. My so, pleasure. Yeah. Guys. Everybody, that is our show. Have a blessed weekend. And of course, we also have the ElijahFire.com slash donate. Uh, website listed at the end. All proceeds go to keeping this free at five days a week and allows to continue to do great teaching series like this on the regular. And um, and then also we take a portion of every donation and we funnel into our amazing water well efforts over in Uganda, Nepal, and then soon Ethiopia. And then we're growing a new fresh water well every three days. And that's because of your guys' generosity and donating to this ministry. So God bless you guys. Bye-bye. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today.